In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. Today in our Old Testament reading, we have this story of deliverance. Now, this is the story of deliverance in the Bible. The story, capital D, deliverance. This story haunts in the best way Israel and us all the way through the pages of Scripture. It is the story of deliverance. It's Israel's foundation. It makes Israel a people, a nation, a religious community, a family. This is, this is, the, this is the, the story that uh, happens to them early on, and then it marks them and makes them. It reveals Yahweh to them, actually. Most of Israel at this point in the Bible story, these people don't know God. Moses, Yahweh's revealed himself to Moses, but not necessarily to everyone else. So they're slaves, they're fleeing um, Egypt, and Yahweh delivers them. This is the foundational story. Now, Here's the thing, I, as, as I've been reflecting on this story afresh this week, I'm reminded that um, the word deliverance or, you know, I've been delivered, man, that sounds, that sounds kind of churchy, doesn't it? Like if, if, some, if you ask someone how they're doing these days, hey, how you doing? And they're like, I'm good, I've been delivered. You would kind of think that they might be, I don't know, like a religious fanatic or something, right? Some, something crazy. Like, I've been delivered. Like we don't talk like that these days. Um, pizza gets delivered, right? Mail gets delivered. The Amazon boxes get delivered. A baby was delivered to my house last Saturday night at 2.15. Baby Dottie. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm sure Mindy appreciates you clapping right now, like as if I did something. But um, So the thing is, Deliverance is, it's, it's kind of a, now these are just subjective comments. It's something that came to me as I think about being delivered. It's, it's wild that this is not just Israel's foundational story. It really is, it, it's, it's our story too. Every single one of God's children through baptism has known the deliverance experience through water, no less, Right? The other Red Sea, your baptism waters, you came through the waters like Israel and you, you were born again. You were made alive. The waters did not drown you. The deep didn't cover you up. God rescued you, delivered you. And so it's, it's all of our story. Now, if we trace this story of deliverance all the way through the Bible, we find that uh, this is just what God does. It's who God is. And so when Jesus shows up in the story of our scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament, we find this theme all over again. And then every time we gather, like right now, deliverance is happening. So deliverance is our theme today. It's kind of a strange word maybe, but it's Israel's story and ours. And here's what we find out when we trace this story through the pages of Scripture. That every time God delivers, we see his faithful promise keeping. We see his fearsome power over nature, over human hearts, over everything. And we see his fatherly presence. Three things, deliverance happens all through the scriptures. We feel it again. We experience it again today. God's promise keeping, God's power in his presence. First, God's promise keeping. Now, listen, in Mindy's 
family. My wife is Mindy, and Mindy's family, and I don't know the backstory on this, but uh, early on as a kid, she and her sister Cindy, or, or her parents, I don't know, they came up with this thing where if anyone ever says the, the P word, the promise word, that's like all bets are off on threat of death. You, you have to be telling the truth. It is like a, the sacred word. Now, I don't, I didn't get that in my family. I'm not, it's not like we were a family of liars or something, but um, we didn't, you know, there wasn't like this line that you can't cross. Well, um, um, if we were telling a joke or something, do you promise? Oh, I, I promised, even if it was a joke. But in our family, so for our little girls, five and seven, if Daphne says to Lucy, Lucy, did you eat my candy on the counter? Lucy says, no, no, I didn't, Daphne, I didn't. But if Daphne says the P word, do you promise? Oh, Lucy has to give, like right there. So they, they sort of digested this. Promise has this kind of seriousness in our story. Underneath all of this action between Pharaoh and God, between the Egyptians and Israel, is this bedrock of God's promise. It's the context. If you don't know that God made a promise to Israel and that promise is under threat by Egypt, you're sort of missing the whole point of why God moves these people across the sea and out of slavery. This is that whole thing we talked about a few weeks ago, right, about season one and uh, Israel's TV show and season two. In season one, Genesis, God makes this promise, a covenant to Abraham, and then we watch as to find out, will Yahweh keep his promise? Well, then in season two, when Exodus starts, that's season two, the first uh, episode of Exodus is dark. In fact, it's been like 400 years since the people of Israel came into Egypt and they've been waiting and no promise is fulfilled yet. We learn that they're growing, but now they're enslaved. So the tension in our story today is at a fever pitch. Will Yahweh keep his promise? That's what this deliverance is all about. Now, when we look at promise and deliverance all the way through the Bible, we find God's ultimate act of deliverance, of course, and simultaneously his ultimate promise kept in Jesus, in the display of Jesus Christ. Jesus, remember, came through the people of promise. And then by Christ, you and I get to be a part of those people. So we're Abraham's children too. The Genesis 15 promise that God made to Abraham, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus and now in us. Here's the thing. In our baptismal liturgy, we have hints of Red Sea and deliverance and Israel and God's promise Everywhere, like the deacon prays, this is from page 305 of the prayer book, deliver them, O Lord, from the way of sin and death, right? When the priest is blessing the waters of baptism for the child or for the adult, we go through the whole story of water in, in the Bible. You are the Lord of water of creation, God. The waters of the Red Sea were parted by you. The waters of Jesus' baptism and so on. Do you know God as a promise keeper? Did you know that at your baptism, God made promises to you? You know, uh, in other traditions of the Christian church, people are baptized after they make a, a, an affirmation of faith. And the, the baptism sort of signifies to, it's a testimony in, in a way to the world, like this is the commitment that I've made to, to God. 
I think that's fine. I don't, I'm not going to down the hill of, of how to be baptized, but I would say that one thing I love about the way that our tradition does baptism with babies is that lots of promises are made in the liturgy, but the baby doesn't really make any prom- promises, right? And it would be weird if all of a sudden a newborn baby started talking, I promise God, and saying the Apostles' Creed. Lots of promises are made in the liturgy. God's making promise to us. The parents are making promise to God. The congregation is making promise to the parents and the kid. We're going to help you. The baby just receives. Just receives. Do you know that God has made promises to you? God is committed to you to bring about his plan. It's the first thing we see. You've been delivered you got promises, and God is going to keep them like he kept them for Israel when he delivered them through the Red Sea. Here's the second thing we see. Deliverance and promise, now deliverance and power. God's power. We don't have to belabor this point too much. We've addressed it over the last few weeks as we've studied Exodus. But if you've got the passage handy, I'll read to you now from Exodus 14. Listen to these verses describing Yahweh's power. Because his power comes through when Yahweh enacts deliverance. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground and the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. This theme of power, who's got it and who doesn't, is everywhere in the struggle between God and Pharaoh, God, and the gods of Egypt, Moses, nature, it's sea, the sea itself uh, is a big, powerful presence. God manifests his power by ruling over the waters. You get this theme. Now, again, here we are back in, in Exodus, wonderful storytelling, because it's connecting the same God who divided the waters at creation, whose spirit, wind, went over the deep, Right? Now, again, God's doing the same thing. He's recreating Israel. He's moving over the waters and dividing them so that they can be recreated, made new. But in this story, God's power reaches not just over nature, but over even humanity. This is a little bit uncomfortable for us as autonomous Americans, right? Um, And there's a mystery to how does God have this ultimate power and yet give us choice. We won't go there today, but listen to this verse from earlier in uh, uh, Exodus 14 when Yahweh's power is described like this. God says, then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in to the sea after Israel. Even that is a part of God's powering plan. And so God says, I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. In our passage elsewhere, God meddles with the chariot wheels so that Egypt uh, can't get to Israel fast enough, just delaying it until just the right time so that they will drown. So it's a, it's a hard passage to digest. We, we, we don't, we're not going to go through the scriptures and look at the mystery of God's power and our choice and all that, but we have to wrestle here with how powerful Yahweh is as the creator. He rules over nature and over every human heart. In other words, though, power has to be put in connection with promise. There is nothing on earth in God's world that can stop God from keeping his promise. 
That's what happens in deliverance. And by the way, when we trace this theme through Scripture and we meet Jesus, the gospel writers tell the story of Jesus' life as if he were the embodiment of Israel. Another Israel coming out of uh, his parents, remember, had to flee uh, from Egypt. Um, Jesus, like Yahweh, Uh, dominates the water. He stills the storm and he walks on the water. He casts out demons. Or how about this uh, for Yahweh ruling over nature? Jesus is born in a supernatural way by a virgin birth. And then what about death? Well, even death, we just sang about it. I love that verse from all creatures of our God and King. Even uh, most gentle death, even you will sing God's praise. You will subdue yourself to God, Yahweh, Jesus has beat you in the resurrection. Now us at baptism. Water features itself as a sign again. All the way through the story of the Bible. But this time, in our baptism, the waters don't drown us. They don't destroy us. But it's through water that we are delivered. Delivered. You've been delivered. God has exercised his power over nature And over your own heart, waking you up to his grace, you've been delivered. Lastly, God's fatherly presence. Deliverance and power, deliverance and promise. Now, deliverance and presence. There's a tenderness. There's a tenderness to this story and to our relationship with God that can't be lost. If you've got your uh, passage, look with me now at verses 19 or 20. I'll read it for you. The angel of God, this is how our passage began today. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. God gets in between Israel and certain death, like an advocate. In Jewish rabbinic literature from the third century, one rabbi says, let me tell you a story to get at the heart of what this part of Israel's story means when God's uh, uh, pillar of fire and uh, a pillar of cloud move to get around Israel for safety and protection. The Jewish rabbi says, you know, once a father and a son were walking uh, on a a journey together down a road, and the father, as they're walking, soon detects some robbers coming up behind he and his son. And so he moves from in front of his son, leading the way, to behind his son to get in between his son and the robbers. They continue to walk, and then the father sees a wolf coming from the front now, So the father moves again in front of the son. And then later down the road when the father sees the wolf coming from the front and the robbers coming from the back, the father picks the son up and puts the son on his shoulders. When the father notices that the boy's head is burning from the son, he takes his shirt off and he wraps the boy's head with his clothes. The traveling makes his son hungry and so the father feeds him. The heat makes the boy thirsty, and so the father finds him something to drink. Israel knew God in this way. Do you know God as father? This is perhaps the tension of this story, at least for us as modern readers, I think, 
is, whoa, how can God drown all of these people? The, the, the violence part of it really screams at us, confuses us. I don't know that this takes away all of our questions about God and violence in the Old Testament, but knowing that it was a father taking care of his children who were about to be killed, to whom he'd made this promise in Genesis 15, that changes it, at least for me, the context a little bit. A father getting in the way of a wolf or a robber, keeping his son protected from the sun or hunger or thirst. Do you know God in this way? Not just his power, not just his promise-keeping faithfulness, but his presence, a protective father in your life. I confess this week, now that baby Dottie is a week old, it's been like uh, one big smooch fest all week long. You get this little, you know, this little, the cutest little blob you've ever seen, right? And the eyes are just wandering around. It's a little bitty baby. You just want, I, I want Dottie to know my voice and to feel my beard. And I want to just, I want to eat her up. You know, I want to smooch her constantly. I want her to know the presence of her dad and to feel the safety of that. Probably like every father here. I think of Psalm 139. Do you? Lord, you've searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. I think I used to read Psalm 139 and think, oof, that's not good. So God, you know, you're see everything that's going on. And now I feel it as a comfort. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places. You're acquainted with all my ways. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand hold me fast. For you created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, when we trace this theme of presence through Scripture, this starts to make a lot of sense. Because one of the names for Jesus, God in the flesh, is Emmanuel, God with us. So in a new way, in a brand new way, not a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud, uh, uh, the fire, the smoke that uh, represented the angel of the Lord. But now in person, flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, God is with us. And then when Jesus ascends to heaven, it's not like he goes somewhere far away. Jesus becomes even closer to us than he ever was before through the power of God, the Spirit. God is with us in a new way. So at baptism then... We get this spirit. We're given this spirit, God's presence with us in a powerful new way, in a way that delivers us from sin and death. And then in church every week or on Wednesdays or perhaps for some of us every day at Eucharist, Christ is present in his body and blood with us. So the angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. When we experience God's deliverance, there's a tenderness to it. He's present. Martin Luther famously talked about uh, the need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself. You need it. You need to repent and believe all over again afresh every day. It's just a part of waking up. My prayer is kind of similar, but in light of this story, 
My prayer is that we would live every day as if we're Israel again on the edge of the Red Sea. And we are ready, ready to experience in a fresh way God's deliverance in all of its promise and all of God's presence and all of God's power in our lives. Amen.